title for today's message is One Man for the People and that's taken from verse 50 of our passage. And what we're going to be thinking about is the Bible's teaching about substitution and we're going to see that there are two sides to that coin. So here's how the passage brings this up. Jesus has just raised Lazarus back to life again and there has been the usual double response to this. On the one hand, there have been those who have believed on him and on the other, those who have opposed him. Some of these report or shop him to the Pharisees who then decide to hold their uh, general council meeting the 70 men who comprise the Sanhedrin. They've got a problem, and he is their problem. And they need to come up with a plan, some sort of, of strategy to solve that problem. In passing, I wonder if it's worth considering whether Jesus has become a problem for some of us, an issue. Um, what we need to do is to come to a clear decision as far as what to do with Jesus. Just like Pontius Pilate had to ask that, what will I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? What actually is revealed in this council meeting is what their real concern is. It's not really about evaluating what Jesus has done and what he has said. In fact, what comes out is their real anxiety. It's their real concern about their own position. What they say is, you know, we need to do something about this because the Romans will come and they'll take away our position and our place if all of this gets out of hand. I mean, this is a real kind of gotcha moment as far as these people are concerned we now see what their real concern is and what they, they really think. And I think that at times might help us to have some insight into our own thinking. Why is it that I might be opposed to the teaching of the Lord Jesus and Christianity? Maybe it's not about how I honestly face up to things. Maybe it's got more to do with my self and how that has to be important. Well, it's at this point in the council meeting that the top dog stands up, that Caiaphas, the man who is the high priest that year, has got something to say. We actually meet this man again, along with his father-in-law, who also had been high priest, a man called Annas, uh, in chapter 18, verse 4 of John's Gospel, where in fact it references this, this very incident. And it's Caiaphas who comes up with this, this theory of one man dying for the people. Now as far as he was concerned, that, that was a very ruthless, kind of unscrupulous uh, decision that he made. He said, you guys know nothing at all. Uh, this is how we need to look at this situation. It's better that one man dies for the people than the entire nation perishes. Of course, what he really meant was that we lose our place, that we lose our position. For him, it was a kind of game of chess. 
Jesus is expendable. Jesus can be sacrificed like a pawn in the game. This is all so that as far as his bigger picture is concerned, that the nation and himself retain their status. That's what he meant by that when he said one man should die as a substitute for the people. But he actually spoke wiser words than he knew. This was an unintentional prophecy. That's what our passage tells us, doesn't it? And what it actually does is it sets out the crucial and central teaching about the meaning of the death of Christ. It's talking about substitution. By the way, what happens here is an illustration that, that God can actually take evil and unscrupulousness and can turn that into good. There's a verse in Psalm 76, verse 10, which says that even the wrath of man will praise him, will praise God. And I think it's good to remember that principle in difficult times. Caiaphas didn't know the full import of what he was actually saying. So let's then think a little bit more about this idea of, of substitution. Uh, the three things I initially want to draw your attention to. One is that if you read further down the passage, it tells us that Passover time is at hand. The people are about to celebrate that great occasion. And that has a bearing on this teaching about substitution. You remember the, the final plague. Passover was the tenth of the plagues. And on that particular night, the lamb had to be taken and the lamb had to be slain. And because of that, the firstborn in that house would be spared. Now that happened as far as the Israelites who obeyed this was concerned. But throughout the whole of the land of Egypt, there was not one house where there was not distress. There was a terrible wailing in the middle of the night. The firstborn in every single household had died that night, apart from the homes of the Israelites where the lamb had been slain as a substitute for the firstborn. Now, if you were to go to the beginning of Exodus chapter 13, you would find that God says this to the people, all the firstborn from now on are to be devoted to me. They were a special group, a special club. I mean, you must try and imagine this. That group of people who looked at each other as they met and they realized that they had been spared because a lamb had given its life instead of them and its blood had been shed. And they were celebrating that in the Passover. Every lamb that was slain in the temple, when the worshiper came along and he saw the life ebbing away, he recognized that that lamb's life was given because sin has a price. The wages of sin is death. And a price has to be paid. And here is an animal who loses its life instead of me. When Jesus himself, and this is the second point, was about to participate in the Passover, you remember he's in the upper room, it's the Last Supper, and he he adds special meaning to that. 
extra significance. He institutes the Lord's Supper out of the Passover. He takes the bread and he says, this is my body which is given for you, which is given instead of you. He takes the cup and he says, this is my blood which is shed for you, shed instead of you. Take that, eat that, remember. Now this isn't magical, but it is of spiritual and symbolic significance. He wants them to think about that. I wonder if for us this morning that from our hearts with meaning we can say that his body instead of me his blood instead of mine or to quote the verse from Isaiah 53 that he was wounded for my transgression he was bruised for my iniquity the punishment that brought me peace was laid upon him and with his stripes I am healed. Now that is the meaning of the cross right at the center of it all that Christ takes my place. He becomes accountable for my wrong. He suffers God's justice as my substitute. Again, to quote another verse, it was while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. Or, Christ has once died for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Thirdly, I've often wondered, just at the time of the death of Christ, how Barabbas the robber must have felt. They'd asked, the crowd had asked for Barabbas rather than Jesus, and he had been freed. I wonder how he felt as he perhaps watched Jesus carry his cross to Calvary and was nailed on that cross and died there instead of him. I think that must have had some sort of impact on that man. And I wonder how this truth of substitution, in a real sense, has an impact upon us. Have we all with a real sense of gratitude and, and sincerity, with the Apostle Paul being able to say, as we look on Christ upon the cross, the Son of God, he loved me and he gave himself for me. You know how that hymn puts it. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place, condemned he stood. Now I said earlier that we were going to think about two sides to this coin of substitution. And I want to flip that coin now. And I'd like to turn the idea of substitution around. So far, we have thought about Christ dying for me in my place now we're going to think about me for him me in his place substitution for Christ in the here and now as far as my life is concerned and I just want to quote 
three scriptures that highlight this. The first one is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, where Paul says to his readers, I want you to understand that we are all ambassadors for Christ. And it's as though God was making his appeal to people through us. We represent him. We speak for him. We are his mouthpiece. We stand here on earth as his substitute, as we say to people on behalf of God, as his ambassador, be reconciled to God. You know, I think grasping that fact, that I am here on earth as God's substitute, his hands and feet and mouth, that that may very well revolutionize how I think about my life and about my work and about who I am. That's the flip side. You're an ambassador for him. Secondly, Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Reads like this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Christ has sacrificed himself for me. What this verse is telling me is that I am to sacrifice myself for him. Now, of course, that doesn't mean in a kind of atoning sense, as the death of Christ is. But what it does mean is that I sacrifice myself in commitment, uh, in devotion, and in worship to living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Almost seems a bit of a contradiction in terms, doesn't it? A living sacrifice. Sacrifices usually die. But that is our obligation to our Saviour. He did all this for me. What will I do for thee? And then thirdly, there's a verse from 1 John chapter 3. And, and really basically what it says is this. That we know that he laid down his life for us. And we therefore ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone, it says, has something of this world's goods, sees his brother in need, and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deeds and in truth. Basically, this is saying that in laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters, in a sense, that's the flip side of substitution. The flip side of Christ laying down his life for us. So this was the, this was the high priest's solution. Straightforward for him. One man instead of the people. Substitution. That's at the heart of what the gospel means. And yet there is a flip side to it as well. I wonder this week, will we grasp both sides of that coin? 
Think of Christ substituting himself for me and thinking of my obligation to live for Christ and by living for Christ to live for others. One man for the people.